What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. Why can't we play Clint Capella in the fourth quarter, Kalal? And we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports with wacky-ass hijinks and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? What's up there, Junior? It's going quite well. We, we, we got some little taste of spring in Atlanta this week, which has been glorious being outside and wearing shorts again. So, you know, it's just gearing us up a little closer for the feel of baseball, which is quickly coming up on us. But yeah, th- things are going well on this end. I'm about ready to, I had the thought today of, it's about time for us to do in-person podcasts again. Oh. Like, staring at this wall is great, but I do, <laughs> I, I, I think I'd, I'd actually prefer to stare at your face versus this wall that has holes in it from the prior homeowners. So maybe, maybe we need to get a weekend outdoor podcast scheduled here pretty soon. Yeah, that could be fun, Adam. And I wouldn't be opposed to it, even though we, I mean, we've done outside podcasts before, as users know from last year when we did the great East Florida crusade history of Atlanta sports episode with uh, one El Senor, Jeff DeDelore. Yeah, and the, the sound, that, that's where we ran into our sound quality issues, which I have much more respect and appreciation for you, Graham, after, I don't think we ever mentioned it, but I've attempted to edit the past two weeks of podcasting because Graham has done, what, the past four years or so. So I figured I was due, and it's not an easy task. It's a lot more labor-oriented than I realized and we sound like complete idiots, 40% of the time at least. <laughs> and, but you make us sound great. But like hearing the raw cuts, it's, it's like, woof, we are, we are not radio ready, Graham. I think we would actually really have to try and study how the media does this shit. Because, yeah, a lot of sometimes a lot of our first takes are just all over the place. But that's the joy of, of editing where you can sort of manipulate the story. Just like I make you sound like an idiot some of the time on a point, whereas when I make a bad point, I can just cut it out. It's great. Right. That's, it's very unfair. Uh, especially when I'm not editing and I just hear the back end. I was like, no, I know Graham said <laughs> something completely idiotic there. And I proved my point and now it's just gone in the ethos. I've tried to be a little more balanced with so, that recently, but um, there are plenty of times when I'm just like, nope, uh, no one wants to, no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear Graham be horribly wrong. And no one wants to hear us probably talk about the editing of the show as opposed to actually getting into the show. So without further ado, Adam, let's jump in and talk about these Atlanta Hawks and what the hell is going on with Coach Lloyd Pierce. That is an excellent point, Graham. Um, so you're already on the Lloyd Pierce, Mr. Hawks Twitter over there. Before we, before we get into that, I'll give the quick recap of what's happened over the last four games. And... This was a perfect example of my take on the Hawks would be so much different had we recorded Wednesday night as opposed to Thursday night. So over the last four, the Hawks actually went two and two. And the interesting thing is the Nate McMillan experiment, well, not experiment, but Lloyd Pierce was out for a few games. And with Nate McMillan, we ended up going two and one. 
including a very impressive 123-115 over Denver. Uh, Trey Young was phenomenal in this game, 35-15-6, and and another great performance from Clint Capella with 22-10. and And we actually got the first contributions from our number six overall pick, Oneka Okongwu here, and Gallinari was decent off the bench as well. So something, I mean, we, we obviously need more from the bench. So that, that was promising, but then flash forward to the next game and it's just a brutal loss at Cleveland. 112, 111 game where we led pretty much the whole game and Cleveland had lost 10 straight coming in. And Lloyd Pierce is back for this game, right? Yes, yeah, this this was the return of Lloyd Pierce. And we we can skip like the first basically the entire game and just talk about the last minute of this game because shit just hit the fan, Graham. To set the whole scene of what happened. We were up and th- this is where Lloyd Pierce comes into play and where I agree with you because there's so much talk about is this Lloyd Pierce's fault? Can you blame him? Or are we just not hitting shots? Is like shot making, is that really on the coach? But when it comes to like end of game execution, kind of like we would see with Dan Quinn all the time, that is on the coach. And in this game, Lloyd Pierce doesn't have the right people out there. And we looked clueless both on offense and defense. So our lead, which was double digits for most of the night, gets knocked down to one with about 14 seconds to go. And there's a six-second difference between the shot clock and the game clock. With six seconds left on the shot clock, Trey goes for one of his floaters that just hasn't been as consistent this year and misses it. He's on the ground. We got bodies everywhere running back on defense. No one knows what to do. We've got Herder on Jared Allen, who's their center. So that's a mismatch. We got Trey just giving zero effort on the guy with the ball. And then Gallinari's standing in the paint, and he does less than zero effort on what turned out to be the wide-open game-winning dunk. So brutal to see. We have, Now we're down one. 4.1 seconds left in the game. Trey dribbles up surprisingly casually and he's got a little separation to where he could take a deep three, but instead he passes it to Tony Snell with about half a second on the shot clock on the game clock. And that's it. Like he can't even get a shot up and that's ball game. And it was just horrendous, horrendous, horrendous. Like that, that's the maddest I've been after a Hawks game all year. I'd imagine most people felt the same way. And Graham, I'll lead you into the biggest thing from that with Gallinari being on the court. Clint Capella is not on the court again at the end of a game where he would have been clogging that paint and definitely challenged the guy at least, whereas Gallinari was just like looking the wrong way. Yeah, it makes no sense. I get where LP's head is to a degree about they could do a hack a shack on Clint Capella, like we talked about, I think, last week. But the pros of having Capella on the floor late in the game outweigh the cons. Con, 
not a great free throw shooter. Pro, leads league in rebounding, is a beast on defense, can contribute in the paint. I think the pros outweigh the cons there. Yeah, and I mean, maybe if he had a timeout, maybe he puts him no, back in. No, he hasn't done that all year. He'd He's been doing This is his strategy. And Nate McMillan played Capella at the end of games. And we fucking won. Two out of the three. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason, but that's one of your best players. And he's so critical defensively that you cannot afford to leave him out of the game. What, what do you think about Trey's effort on defense on that possession? I don't know. I, I, Trey is up and down for me defensively this year from what I, the limited action I've seen. He's still not a great defender, even at his best, but he's gotten better. I don't know. It just it seemed kind of lackadaisical. Like you're saying, everyone seemed like there was a huge communication gap. Like Trey speaking Chinese... Gallinari speaking Swahili and you know what I mean like it's just like no one's speaking the same language the effort comes from a lack of execution or a lack of preparation or a lack of planning or whatever the hell you want to call it so I think not having that in place which it certainly seemed like it wasn't or people didn't understand caused the the effort on that last play in particular to be trash across the board and just like especially against that Cleveland team which had been so one of the worst teams in the league like not even com- playing competitive games in that 10-game losing streak. And I'm so sick of, like, Cleveland was the worst three-point shooting team in the league, and then against us, they're lights out. Like, they have their best shooting game of the year. And that that's a trend that we continue to see. And I guess that's just effort on defense? I, I, I don't know, but it, it, to, to see it, Every damn game is just so frustrating, and that was just such a brutal night for the optics of Coach Lloyd Pierce to have that be his first game back after that awesome win over Denver with Nate McMillan. And then also bad optics for Trey Young for his last minute because he had a couple turnovers in the last minute as well and just wasn't hitting his shots. And then, of course, the same night, We've got the Mavs and Luka Doncic, who that comparison we will continue to talk about as well as the rest of the basketball world. We've got him bringing his team back from down six, hitting two threes at the end, including a game winner. So it was a very frustrating night, almost a give-up night for me, but fortunately we came back with this game over the Celtics that we'll talk about next. Are you sick of hearing about Trey Young, Luka Doncic yet, Graham? Yeah, because I don't know what else you can really add to the conversation. I think it's pretty clear that Luka's a better player. But he's also not an astronomically better player than Trey. I mean, we've said the same thing for years. It's just, it is what it is. And you can either keep making the comparison and bitching and moaning on Twitter, not you, but people in general, or you can just say, this is what we have. At least we don't have Marvin Williams and the other team's got Chris Paul. I'll keep coming back to that till the day I die, because... Yes, it would be better to have Luka. He's a better shooter, better rebounder, better defender. But Trey ain't no scrub. No, Trey's not a scrub. And the one thing I had a gut feeling about was that that Cleveland game was kind of going to be a kick in the ass to an extent just because it was such a brutal loss. And we came back and this we got a 127-112 win over the Celtics. And we just looked phenomenal from the get-go. Like, Trey came out hot, and this was finally the Danilo-Gallinari game. 
something we have been needing to see because he's just been like he's had a couple games here and there where he looks like a guy that deserves no he actually he hasn't looked at all looked like a guy that deserves all the money but he looks like a decent NBA player but then he just went off last night on the Celtics ended up with 38 points including 10 of 12 from three I believe he started nine of nine and I'm telling you Graham like the ball was barely hitting the net. He was just, he went the complete opposite from his like 22% shooting that he had done over the last five or six games. So Trey and Danilo combined for like 70 points and it was more of a blowout win than it even looks because like the last five, six minutes were all like third stringers out there. But Showed a little life all around, and, you know, the Hawk. it's just classic Hawks. I, I still don't know what to think of this team, but if Danilo can be – obviously, we're not going to expect a plus 25 overall from him every night, but if he can start just hitting these open shots, spreading the defense out, being a good distributor, which he's capable of doing, that's going to be – so much for Trey, John Collins, Capella. We're starting to put a decent core here while we wait for these other bodies to come back. And I think one of the things that was really big for Danilo last night in comparison to other nights is it didn't feel like he was forcing a shot. I don't know about you because you watch the games a lot more than I do, but when I have seen him or heard him, it seems like he's taken a lot of contested shots that were tough, you know, not great shots, and it looked like he was really forcing the ball. Last night, it didn't seem like that. I mean, hell, he was so hot last night, he took a three from the damn logo and drilled it. Not like midcourt, but where the logo ends. You know, it, it, the range would make Trey Young blush. It was unbelievable. So, he was just in his groove last night, not forcing shots, taking shots as they came. And he, he made it happen, too, but it wasn't like he was going up against a defender that had him locked down and he was forcing the ball up there. So, hopefully we can see more of that in the future. And he can be a guy that can hopefully average somewhere between 15 to 20 points a game. Yeah, it's definitely what we need out of him coming off the bench. And a lot of it was Trey Young as well. Like when Trey is clicking like that, I think he had 15 points in the first quarter. He was making all the right decisions, had the defense, like they they had no answers for Trey. So he was finding Danilo wide open and Danilo was knocking it down. So it was certainly a breath of fresh air. Poor, poor Smitty had his Hawks record broken for threes in a game. So, I mean, it was it was so fun to watch. Your boy Dominique was going nuts. Bob Rathman was loving it. What a great shot, Nick. Can you believe that? That was a heat check for Danilo, and he drilled it. Yeah, the, the funny thing about Dominique and his heat checks last night so Danilo, he was 10 of 12, so he only missed two. And you bet your ass that both of them were heat checks mm. that he missed. Yeah, they were, they were both labeled the first time he's done a back-to-back heat check. So it was, it, it was quite, quite the game, quite the game there, Graham. Capella had a good game too, right? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just such a force down there. Um, like he said, leading the league in rebounds and – we got the all-star game coming up and it's going to be played in Atlanta and in true to Atlanta form, we have zero all-stars this year. Both Trey and Capella got snubbed 
And the Trey one is tough, man. He's eighth in the in the NBA in scoring at 27.2 points per game. And he's third in assists in all the NBA at 9.7. And like you said, Capella's leading the league in rebounding. And it just seems like, I mean, granted, there's not going to be fans in, I mean, there's going to be like a thousand fans, but still, you, you would like to have one of those guys in the game. And Trey, I know he's had a lot of ups and downs this year. And there was the whole thing from earlier in the season with the players really kind of hating the way that he would get those fouls called on him that seemed like cheap. So I know the players are in the voting. I don't know if that has something to do with it, but it's got snub written all over it to me. But, you know, that's we're used to these things in Atlanta, but hopefully it's going to make Trey hungry. And like I said, he's been awesome over the last five, six games. So hopefully this is a positive for him. Let him rest, take a few days off, and come back ready to prove everyone wrong. Yeah, hopefully it can be motivation for him. But for me, I don't care about the All-Star game. Once again, the whole subjective award rant of who gives a shit. The All-Star game's a jerk-off. All of it's a jerk-off. Who, who gives a shit? And you know what? If you want to use that as fuel to the fire, that's fine. And I know it's important for a lot of big-time players to be an All-Star. It's just, for me as the average fan, or even a hardcore fan, it doesn't matter. Like, it, does it matter to you at all? Do you do you are you upset about this? Do you go on Twitter and and rant about how the league did Trey wrong and all this shit? I like what I, I wouldn't say I'm upset about it, but I think a I want to keep Trey happy, and if Trey wants to be an all star, that's what I want. And B, like you want to see your team represented. Like remember Josh when we were the 13 win Atlanta Hawks back in like 2004 2005. And Josh Smith wins the slam dunk competition. Right, but does that matter? Like it's a jerk off. Yeah. All Star Weekend's a jerk off. I, it's I a still fun remember jerk-off, that. But a jerk off like, nonetheless. Who cares? What does it have to do with the season? Nothing. It it builds some excitement for the team. And, you know, can I mean it's good it's good for the team overall. Can put butts in seats if that's the thing that you could be doing now. But seats but butts are gonna be put in seats if you win. It doesn't matter what you do at an you know, to make an all-star team. Who cares? For a lot of fans, but it that, does but, matter, but, but you understand different... it doesn't at the end of the day. That doesn't validate whether or not Trey Young is a is a great player. The stats, like you just mentioned, should translate to an all-star appearance. They don't because Trey got done dirty. But but that's out of his control. The things that we can we should invest ourselves in are the things that Trey can control. Can he play better defense? Can he can he stop taking fifty foot threes all the time? That's the, that's the shit I'm more worried about than Trey getting to the All Star game. People need to get the priorities in order. But and Trey also has to recognize well, that's not the organization's fault that he's not an All Star. Not to say that he is saying well, that, but I know you were saying, you know, keep Trey Young happy. But that's one thing the organization can't control. Think about it from so you. I, I feel like you approach this conversations like this on fandom strictly from a guy who hosts a amateur Atlanta professional sports podcast versus the kid that might like the seven-year-old kid that watches the all-star game and sees Trey Young out there shooting threes from deep and becomes a Hawks fan because of that I think in the long run those things matter like you want to grow the game you want to grow your franchise and the all-star game is a way for these players, I mean, we have, I think, 
one real national TV game all year. Well, I guess the one you watched and we got like one on TNT later this year. So those things do matter. Like the more national TV games we get, the more money coming back to the Hawks. It matters a little bit. Like it, it doesn't granted. Yeah. If we make the playoffs, go on a deep run, obviously that's what's most important, but exposure is a positive thing. And yeah, people should be able to see Trey Young that don't normally get to watch him. Hell, you're in Atlanta and you can't watch Trey Young. Right. So what about sure. the rest of the country? And that that's an appropriate mindset to have. If you want to talk about how it affects the franchise at large, that's a totally different conversation. And I, I agree with every point you made there. I'm just more concerned about what's trade doing to help my team. I'm not as concerned about the exposure, but I do acknowledge that it's valuable. There we go. That's a nice, healthy way to yeah. settle that little debate there. And coming up, when is the All-Star game? Is it next weekend? I think it is because Bridget, our friend Bridget, works for, for Turner Sports, and, and she, she pretty much runs that fucking place. And she is, I think, about to go into quarantine at the damn Omni Hotel uh, either, I think, starting next week for the whole uh, – or it might be this weekend to ramp up for All-Star weekend. And everything's going to happen in one day, apparently. The All-Star game – Slam dunk competition, three-point competition, skills competitions, all happening in one evening, which I think is just batshit, even though I know they're doing that for COVID. So, I mean, it's an interesting format, I, I think, having it all in one night, because if anything, more people will watch the actual game. I would always be a Saturday night guy, watch slam dunk contest, three-point contest, and not really care about the game. Although... I guess it was it this past year, the first time they did where like the winning team gets a bunch of donate money donated to their charities. So it was actually competitive and people were playing. Yeah, that happened defense. last year. I hope they do that this year because that was some of the most exciting. But NBA basketball I've seen in years, literally, because watching the best players in the world all on the court at the same time, giving a shit was enthralling. I only saw the last two minutes of the game because I kept reading on Twitter. People were freaking out saying this is incredible basketball. And it was. Um, maybe they should do that for every fucking game that there is in the NBA so we can get some more excitement in this league. And and it'll be cool with this format that, like the three-point competition and slam dunk, they would normally bring in like non-all-stars, but because of COVID, it's just going to be amongst the guys that are all-stars. Will LeBron finally be in the slam dunk contest? Maybe. I would love to see that. Yeah, probably not, but you never know. My ass would be there... Well, not there because I can't. I'm not going. But I would that'd be appointment viewing if if LeBron. I've been wanting LeBron to be in the slam dunk contest ever since he started. He's still got incredible vertical. I mean, that guy's a freak of nature. As much as I can't stand playing against him because he bitches and whines all the time, you can't deny the athleticism, the once in a generation kind of talent he is. And to see him do some sick dunks in a slam dunk contest would just be incredible. Yeah, he's got so much like Tom Brady to him, and the fact that he's. 36 about to turn 37 and is still fully in his prime yeah and he's logged so many minutes too he i mean there was a when he went to the heat he was going to the finals pretty much every year and he never gets hurt chris dunn has been hurt more as an atlanta hawk than lebron's been hurt in his entire career yeah i mean the conditioning is is world class for sure a a lot of players don't really want to play in this game just because it's like you know, it's obviously a risk 
like an unnecessary risk COVID wise, bringing all these different people in from all over the country to put this thing together. And it could be just three or four days off rest up. So I, I, I bet there's going to be a lot of opt outs. And if there's any guards, you know, Trey Young's gonna be the first one they call. You would hope so anyways. So, right. Maybe we get to see Trey anyways, but it, regardless, the snub is there now, but at the end of the day, to kind of wrap this whole Hawks thing up, the East is a mess. We're still only a couple games out of playoff contention. The same thing I've been saying every single week, just hang around, get some of these bodies back, get the chemistry going. Maybe we'll still be okay. But just watch out Lloyd Pierce because he is now definitely the Atlanta coach on the biggest hot seat. I think especially beating Denver with McMillan. That was on the road too, wasn't it? No, it was at home. It was at and home. It was Even a still, road. Denver's a very good team. So They are, but it was a road-weary Denver team as well. They were on back-to-backs. Even still, the I think it's still an impressive win against a quality opponent when you don't have DeAndre Hunter, Bogdan in particular. I think that's a big win. I think that, if anything, hopefully is something to build off of. I think we saw some of the residual effects of that the Celtics the other night. But then, you know, you also get that, that stuff of the Cavs. This team is the epitome of a basketball version of a seesaw. You just have no idea what the hell is going to happen night in and night out. Are they going to compete at an extremely high level, or are they just going to lay the biggest fucking egg since the prehistoric era? Yeah, and my, my issue with this whole Lloyd Pierce argument is, does Lloyd Pierce get credit for the win against the Celtics, or is that just on the players? Like if the Cavs game, if we're putting that on Pierce, is the win on Pierce as well? Or are we only going to blame him when we lose and not give him credit when we win? And that's fair. That's that's a fair point to make. I think you gotta you got to give credit regardless of the scenario, win or lose. So, yeah, Lloyd Pierce certainly deserves some credit for for the Boston win. But also— He knew to keep, he knew to keep Gallinari in the game. Right. And— but we also have to recognize that so far that was an anomaly-like performance from Gallinari. We can't expect him to be doing that every night. We can expect him to have big games because he's done shit like that before. But that's not going to happen on the regular. So once again, it's a matter of consistency, Adam. Overall, this team is incredibly inconsistent and seemingly is Jacqueline Hyde every other game or every other week too. So it's like until there's some consistency – Lloyd Pierce's seat is very hot, and it's gotten hotter with the success McMillan had and the different energy seemingly the team, the team played with when he was guiding the ship. Yeah, that's a good point. They just look so much more solid at the end of the games with McMillan. Yeah, and well. granted, that's only three games, but we've got to see some consistency from the Lloyd Pierce Hawks, and I haven't seen that more than you know four or five games at a time, if that. I might be being generous with that proclamation. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you, brother. I am skeptical as well. So, Adam, let's turn our attention to your Atlanta Braves, who have opened up spring training. We're seeing a lot of videos online of Ozzy and Ronnie taking BP. Marcelo Zuna showed up the other day in his mask, and things are getting underway. So, I would like to get this segment started by talking about one of our signings this week. Okay. So, we've been signing, if, if you're a major league veteran who's had some injury problems in the past couple of years, you're completely over the hill. 
you're on the Braves right now. But the one this week was actually intriguing. So we got Jake Lamb, who mm. is a – you know the name? Oh, yeah, I know all about Jake Lamb. He was a guy I really wanted four or five years ago when he started to, to kick ass. Yeah, so he used to be with the Diamondbacks. He was a third baseman for them. Uh, we signed him to a one-year, $1 million deal. He is 30 years old and the injury problems, of course. So he's only played 165 games over the past three seasons. But, you know, going back to the years Graham's talking about, he was an all-star in 2017. He totaled 59 home runs between the 2016 and 2017 seasons. It's a classic. Let's see if this guy has still got it. And he signed with the A's last year after getting cut by the D-backs and I was listening to a really good Anthopolis interview on 680 The Fan yesterday with uh, Domino and Cellini. And Anthopolis was just talking about how in spring training, they'll sit down with all the players and just especially the new ones and be like, hey, so this is what we noticed on film. It seems like you made a lot of adjustments in your games with the A's. Like, is that true? And if so, like, what was it? And... Lamb said yes, he definitely turned a corner. And so with the A's and 49 plate appearances, he hit 267 with three homers, 882 OPS, and his exit velo and hard hit rate were both higher than they were during his all-star season of 2017. You know, we're looking at him as a left-handed bat off the bench, kind of insurance for Austin Riley if that doesn't work out. And then he can also spell Freddie at first. So I kind of look at Lamb similarly to Drew Smiley. Like if you're looking at the metrics, you know, the Braves has seen something in both of those guys where they seem like prime bounce back low, I mean, relatively low money uh, signings that could be huge for a team that is now apparently very cash strapped, which we'll get into in a little bit. So I'm intrigued by the Jake Lamb signing. What say you, Graham? I am too. For all the reasons you mentioned, particularly last year, if you had told me we were signing him last year, I wouldn't have given a shit because he hasn't been a relevant name in three years plus. But yeah, all the stats you mentioned are highly encouraging with Oakland. So hopefully that can translate to Atlanta. And it's a low-risk, high-reward sort of thing. And I think that also says a lot about how the organization potentially feels about Austin Riley. I know his primary role will be a pinch hitter, but... Like you're saying, if Austin goes through one of his swoons and Lamb is playing decently enough to get a shot, he's going to get a shot. So this might put a little pressure on Austin Riley to hopefully figure things out and be a little more consistent with Lamb in tow. And especially in terms of adding a guy off the bench with power, this is big. I would much rather sign Jake Lamb than a Nick Markakis, for example, because Lamb can offer you more versatility in terms of his offense. He's not just going to be a guy that lightly hits the ball up the middle of the field or on the ground. I mean, this guy can smash. He's got you know great exit velocity from last year, as Adam mentioned, and he has a history of being a big-time power hitter when he's, when he's right. And hopefully he's right, and the injuries will not assail him this year, and he can have a productive quality season for the Braves. So I think it's a good signing, and Anthopolis has a track record of making – good signings on trash heap guys not to demean these guys but guys who are you know cheap who were once great or good or whatever and need to prove themselves i think 
all signs point to not saying Jake Lamb is the you know second coming or anything because he was never like an amazing player or a Mike Trout kind of player or anything like that. But in terms of a guy who can come in here and help this team, he's certainly a candidate for that. I think it's a great signing. Yeah, he, he could kind of fill that role, at least with the bat off the bench that maybe we're missing now and Adam Duvall being gone. So he could slot in there. But I, I thought it was pretty interesting in that Anthopolis interview what he was saying he said like so every off season they obviously come together discuss all the free agents that are out there but they bring in like people from all over the Braves organization like even much lower on the rung than Anthopolis obviously and they just say do a presentation of what free agents we should sign who's intriguing to you out there possible trades that we can make and then like all the big the big guys like Anthopolis will sit there and listen to these presentations. And I guess he said, he said Jake Lamb popped up in multiple of those presentations is just like based off these metrics of what he did in his small playing time with Oakland, that he's a guy that we should go after. So I think the the concept of, you know, major league front office is doing like these sit down meetings is pretty cool. Cause it's like the speculation that, that we do all off season, but they actually, you know, they can actually pull the trigger on these things. So I I thought that was, you know, for Jake Lamb to pop up on multiple people's radar in the organization. And, you know, this is scouts pulled in and all that as well. He's uh, certainly a guy to watch. I know we've signed a, seems like we signed a bunch of people to come compete in spring training for for a roster spot. And I don't remember any of their names, but it seemed like there was just a ton of folks being signed by the Braves over the last week. So it should be an exciting spring training with old names like Jake Lamb and Jason Kipnis and seeing how this bench shakes out. And I think given the amount, especially with Kipnis and now Lamb in tow, I don't see Nick Marcakis returning. Yeah, we just signed an outfielder yesterday as well. So I, I think I mean another, like, I didn't even know who the hell this guy was. But yeah, it, I think that's the writing on the wall for Nick Marcakis. I think regardless of your feelings towards Nick Marcakis, still a damn good Brave. And he was here from the beginning of the rebuild through the best season we've had in 20-plus years. So I'm very grateful for to him for uh, what he brought to us, even if it wasn't you know earth-shattering or anything like that. He was solid as they come. So if he's not coming back, I wish him the best in his retirement, or if he goes to a different team. Yep, he was, he was definitely a damn good Brave for a while. But... Let's uh, give some of these guys with a little little more upside their shot. Yeah, for sure. So, Adam, let's talk about these cash strap Braves. Ken Rosenthal yes. of The Athletic reported that the Braves only have about $5 million left of space in their budget for payroll, which isn't surprising. And also, I don't think this is ever confirmed right by the Braves. I don't think they're going to comment on their own internal finances to anyone. They never have. I mean, we, we have a payroll. You can see that, but they're not going to say, oh, we only have $5 million left or $10 million left in the budget. I'm not shocked at this, that there's budget constraints, because one, it's Liberty Media. We know they're chintzy as fuck. And two, COVID has impacted the world economy and the world at large. So, of course, we're going to have more constraints than we normally do, unless you're an owner who gives a shit like the Dodgers ownership group or someone who's willing to spend money. And, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate reality we've had to deal with for the last 20. I can't remember when Liberty Media came into the picture. Whatever they did, the last 20-plus years with these these fuckers. Maybe not 20, but like 15 or so. Yeah, it's been a while. Obviously, if I mean, the Dodgers are owned just by like one person, right? 
They have an ownership group. I think Stan, what's his name? I mean, I'm thinking of like 1980s of who owned the Dodgers. But regardless, he had like Magic Johnson, a couple other guys who were at the top, and they just pour millions upon millions of dollars yeah. into it. So, and, yeah. Yeah. Liberty Media, like we, they have shareholders. So with building the battery and where they have a revenue stake in the battery, I think in 2019 they they gained like $100 million off of that. But in 2020, they lost $100 million. So, of course, it's not surprising that the payroll is going to come down. And Thopolis did say on that same interview that the payroll is going to be lower than it was last year. I think that's pretty much confirming the Rosenthal story. And it also explains why we weren't in on Melanson and some of these other guys that we've let get away. But my problem here is Drew Smiley better be pretty damn good. Because we yeah. signed him early. The and I, one according year, to the Rosenthal piece, this apparently changed. This wasn't at the outset of the offseason that this was going to be the, the case in terms of the budget. It apparently happened uh, over time, either in December or January or something like that, which is why we haven't been as active on the free agent market, according to, I believe, what he said. So I don't think it was like this at the beginning. And then I think it sort of started to uh, materialize in terms of the actual numbers. So, but still, you know, even with these strictures in place, the fact that we got Morton and Ozuna, I mean, hopefully Smiley's good, but Morton and Ozuna is, is huge. So, I mean, this team can still compete on a, on a limited budget, especially compared to the Dodgers. But uh, yeah, you're, you're right though. Drew Smiley took up a good fucking chunk of our free agent money. So Here's hoping that he can replicate that success from last year. Yeah, and I mean, you need to save, if $5 million, that's all that's left, you need to save some of that for if you need to add payroll at some point in the season once you know what you got. So, right. yeah, it's not surprising. We've never been the highest spenders in the game. Not I mean, true. Used to be up, well, we used to be up there back in the 90s, but we, we've had that discussion before. We had a real owner. What are you going to do, Graham? It's we got to find a way to situation. get rich and buy this team, Adam. In the next 30 years. That's our life goal. It must be done. Well, we're not on track for that right now, but you, you never know what we'll come up with over the next decade. We'd still do this podcast for sure. Can you believe those losers signed this person? Well, we, we approved of it, so yeah, yeah I, can, I can believe it. It seemed like a good Oh, move as owners do the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I, I like that concept. Right. We, we'd tell the fans what's, what's up. Can't really think of much else going on with the Braves other than that spring training is underway. So, Yeah, nothing we didn't really touch on last week, just in, in terms of it's going to be intriguing to see who does win that kind of fourth and fifth starter's job, assuming Soroka is going to start on the IL. So that wraps up this week's show. We hope you guys are doing well out there, and we will holler at you next week. Let's hope the Hawks can pick up the pace a little bit and ride into the all-star break with some momentum, for Christ's sake. Until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitometer soap. Hospitometer soap.